All right, well, come on back and uh, grab your Bibles and uh, open up to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. And I think I'm going to tell you a little story. I, I've told this story here in uh, the fellowship uh, before. I'm going to tell it again. Uh, I grew up in Ohio. Jan and I grew up in Ohio, same hometown in Ohio, Newark, Ohio. And uh, I'd never been to Pittsburgh ever, uh, never. Never even thought, I didn't even know where Pittsburgh was, to be honest with you, and we're only three hours away. And I went through college, and then I, my second year of law school, of all things, can you believe this, I was the president of the Icelandic Law School Exchange Program. Re- a resume builder, right? But really, I wanted to go to Iceland, you see, and that's where this story comes in. So I needed to fly out of New York uh, to Reykjavik. And then I actually paid and went over to Europe for a couple weeks before and then came back to Iceland. But that's another story and you don't want to hear it too, too much. Uh, but what I did, what my dad did was uh, he put me on a, a, one of those buses, you know, those buses that stop in like every hamlet from here to New York. Um, he put me on a bus in Columbus and uh, we got into Pittsburgh, that bus station downtown. You remember that? You know where that is? And we got off the bus to get something to eat, and uh, I was sitting there, and um, second year law school, you know, big time lawyer, you know, that kind of thing, and uh, uh, this kid came, young kid, not, not young, but you know, my age, you know, so I guess young, I don't know. And he just kind of sits across from me, and we start talking and everything, and then he, he tells me, he goes, uh, you know, I need change. You got change? And I said, oh, sure. What, of course, you know, we'd been talking for five minutes or so. I, I need some change. Well, you, you got some change? Oh, yeah, I got some change. And I pulled out some money. And somehow, some way, I don't even know how till this day, I gave him a $20 bill. And what's funny is I never got, he talked to me for a long time, and he, I never got any money back. And he talked to me with smiles and everything, and he kind of stood up, and I kind of stood up, and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and it was apparent what was happening. He was conning me out of 20 bucks. And he did. And he talked nice to me and he talked slyly to me. And I thought we were friends, man. I thought I was just being a nice, polite young man and, uh, you know, talking to a stranger and having, but he was conning me. I got to tell you, man, it was only 20 bucks, but it hurt. I felt so icky, like, like how could it? How could you do that? How could you let this happen to yourself? How, how could you hand over 20 bucks without seeing the... Cha- and I thought about it. I'm telling you, I thought about it all the way to New York City. It just burned a hole in me. I thought about it all the way to New York City. I thought about it on the plane. And then after I got over there, I kind of forgot about it. But it bothered me. And it was deceiving and cunning and deceptive. And it hurt. Ever have something like that happen to you? And it was only $20. Think about it. It was only $20. Well, today we're going to talk about something that's deceptive and cunning and sly and deceitful. And what the people we're about ready to talk about do is not cheat you out of $20, but cheat you out of salvation. (laughs) It's a matter of life and death. And yet, listen to this. I don't think in all my time in the church I've ever, ever heard a song sung about it. <laughs> How could you sing a song about it? I've never heard in all my time in the church anybody memorize a scripture from this chapter. You know what we memorize? The joy of the Lord is my strength. And, you know, for by grace we've been saved. It's so fantastic. And it is fantastic. But nobody wants to talk about it. Because we're of the era, you do your thing, I'll do mine. And if we don't, let's just get together and be nicey-nice and love each other. And yet the Bible in this chapter is calling you to be, listen to this, vigilant 
and sober-minded, unlike myself when I went through the Pittsburgh bus station for the first time. What we're talking about today are false teachers, false teachers, and it's destructive, and it can put, put people into hell. So, do you remember last time when we were here? At the end of the chapter one, Peter, who's about ready to die, and he knows it, under intense persecution, he's about ready to die, he knows it, he writes his last letter. And remember, in John 21, flip over there, there's this tender interplay between Peter and the Lord Jesus Christ, this tender interplay where Peter is restored. And the Lord, this is after Peter had denied our Lord in the most critical time we would think that the Lord needed us. Peter deserted him or uh, uh, denied him, and now here uh, Jesus goes up on the shore, breakfast by the sea, and cooks the apostles' breakfast. How cool is that? And you know, I read it last week, there's this interplay. There's this command from Jesus to Simon Peter where he says, Son of Jonah, verse 15, do you love me? Jesus, I messed this up last week, but Jesus uses the word agape there, the unconditional love. And Peter replies, Lord, you know I phileo you. You know I brotherly love you. Well, he says, okay, if you do, feed my lambs or feed my sheep. In other words, I want you to feed them what it is to live a godly life through the word of God and through discipleship. And he says to him again a second time, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know there's brotherly love between us. And he says to them, look at this. This is important. This is the one that's important for today. Tend my sheep. And Peter was grieved because he said, or he said to him the third time, sign him, son of Jonah, do you love me? Jesus actually then comes down and uses the word phileo there. In other words, okay, I'll come down to you. And he says, oh, Lord, I'm grieved. You know that you love me. And he said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. So why do, uh, Jesus then goes on and says, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you when you were younger. And he talks to him about how he's going to die. Now, why am I bringing this to you? Because can you imagine what kind of impact that had on Peter? It was his command from his Lord to feed my sheep, but not, we always say feed my sheep, but what else does a shepherd do? He tends the sheep, which means he does what? He keeps them safe, which means he does what? When there's enemies on the horizon, guess what he has to do? Warn them and protect them. And Peter here, back in Second Peter, took that to heart, and he writes this letter and he's concerned about his flock. You get it? This is a serious matter, a really serious matter. Our Lord in Matthew 7, 15 on the Sermon on the Mount said this. He said this. Jesus said this. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They're gonna, in other words, beware of people who come in and look like you in the Christian church. But inwardly, they are, he said, ravenous wolves. Jesus didn't pull any punches, folks. Do you know that? He doesn't pull punches. They're ravenous wolves. So when now you flip back to verse 1 of chapter 2, or chapter 2 of 2 Peter, I'm going to read a little bit here, probably down to verse 11, and then I'm going to pray. And we're going to examine why it's important that you know what false prophets are like, why it's important uh, what false prophets teach, and why it makes a difference to you, okay? It makes a difference to you and me. Here we go. The word of the Lord, verse 1, chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their destructive ways. 
be, uh, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into, the, into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then, wow, is that a run-on sentence or what? Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. It's still going, by the way. And to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. So, Lord, we need help to understand what this means. How does it impact us, what you're telling us, Lord? We need it. We need your help. And so we're asking uh, in humility that you would grant it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of my sons the other day, we were talking about false prophets, and he asked me, he said, Dad, do you think false prophets actually know they're deceiving people? Or do the people you see sometimes on TV, not all the time, but sometimes on TV, are they doing it as they're deceived? Well, we hope to answer that question here today and many more about false prophets. And the first thing I want you to know is that there are, they are, even I'm smart enough to know this, they're false prophets. They're false prophets. Which means, listen folks, they're not called to be doing what they're doing. <laughs> Think about that. How, why do I say that? Well, if you look back in the 20th chapter, or 20th verse of the first chapter, there were these prophets uh, that shone in a dark place, that's 19, knowing this first, we know this, Peter writes, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Folks, what a teacher is supposed to be telling you and explaining to you is what's coming from the Word, not what comes from the thoughts and intents of the man's heart. For prophecy, 21, never came by the will of man. Prophecy, which can be foretelling, can also be forthtelling, telling what the scriptures say or setting forth what the scriptures say. And it never comes by the will of man, but by holy men of God, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. You see it? When we talk about false prophets or false teachers, we're involved with people who have never been called. They speak their own thoughts. They speak their own heart. And we know this, folks, that the Bible tells us our hearts are deceptively wicked. Who can know it? We need the Lord. We need people who stand up places like this. I need, we need people who are filled with the Holy Spirit speaking truth from the Bible, not trying to tell the flock what they think the Bible should say. Not to see, look out among the shifting culture, and so as to appease the culture, say what the culture wants to hear in their itchy ears, but to tell you what the Bible says, plain and simple. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it perfectly. A true prophet or a teacher preaches the message of the Bible. A false uh, prophet or teacher preaches what he thinks the Bible ought to be saying. Did you catch that? That's what a false teacher does. And that becomes very dangerous. Why does it become very dangerous? Because there are false prophets. Look at this, folks says it right here, who come in among the people. They just come in. They look like us, Jesus said. They talk like us. They even say the same words, grace, faith, glorification, sanctification. But the problem is their dictionary and our dictionary doesn't match up. They pour into the meaning of the word what they want it to mean instead of what the Bible says it means. You get it? So they come in right among the people. It's really slippery and really devious and really cunning. It makes me feel like I was back in that bus station. There are false prophets who come in among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Paul, or excuse me, Peter knew it. They also knew it. Do you remember this? Over in Acts 20... When uh, they're uh, at Miletus and they're talking to some Ephesian elders, at the end of that chapter, uh, the apostles say in Acts 20, 29, I think it's Paul, but the apostles say that savage wolves would rise up among you and dissuade you and try to dissuade you from the truth. There are people who are going to slip in and they're going to be false teachers. Look at this. Look at this. Look, folks. They don't do it openly. They don't come in and sit with us and pray with us and uh, uh, sing with us and serve with us and worship with us and stand up and go, I'm going to teach some false doctrine. They don't say that, which rabbit trail here, which means that we as a body of believers first, I think, need to be really, really humble. God gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. We need to be really, really humble as we receive the grace of the Lord to understand what the Bible really says. And then we need to know what the Bible really says so that when people come in among us and teach something that's aberrant or not orthodox, You know, when they say it and they speak it in some way, it just goes like this in your spiritual mind or heart. A red flag goes up. Not that you're counting and looking around, but you you know the truth so well that you can recognize a heresy that's coming in. Get it? And you and I need to be diligent in these areas. Be diligent in areas, areas because look at this. They're not only going to be false teachers who come in among us, they're going to do it secretly, and they're going to bring in destructive heresies. Heresies. Now, this is a fascinating word. Stick with me, because I promise I'm going to come to your neighborhood here. Heresy. What's a heresy? Well, that word in the Greek means to make a choice, to make people choose, to come in secretly and to create a sect or a party that's separate from orthodox theology, and to get others to participate in your sect. It's really a a dividing uh, uh, principle or a dividing heresy. It's a thing that divides people. And it, you can see as you go on, even denies the Lord who bought them. So what, what does that mean? What do you mean denies the Lord? Well, let me read you a, a couple things. Jude 3 and 4. Why do I say Jude 3 and 4? Because there's, no, there's only one chapter. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in 
who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men, look at this, listen, 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 who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, at the center of it all is Jesus and who he is. We must be vigilant in this area about Jesus. Why, folks? There are groups that live right in our communities who say Jesus is the brother of Lucifer or who say Jesus is, uh, you know, uh, acquainted or, or related to the angel, you know, archangel Michael, or, or they, they say that Jesus was a good man, or Jesus was just a prophet, or, and he, you should listen to him because he has great moral stories. That's not what the Christian uh, Orthodox view is. And look, in John, 1 John, look at this. This is why it's so important. I'm going to read these to you. You can write these down. And check them out. First John 2, 22 and 23. Listen to this. Who is a liar? Boy, that's nice Christian talk, isn't it? The apostle of love under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, who's a liar? The liar is one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. I'm not saying this, folks. i got to tell you, I'm so blessed today, today especially, a lot of days, but today especially, I am so blessed that we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Just going to be honest with you today. Here's why. Because if I'm picking out a sermon topic, I probably am not going to pick this one. Just left it to my own device, my own thoughts, my own inclinations. Because, you know, we want to know about the scintillating aspects of revelation. Uh, we want to know, you know, once saved, always saved, or can you, you know, can you lose your salvation? Did, you know, who had, you know, did Adam have a belly button? We want to know all the important questions. But this one, see, if you're uh, tending to your flock, you must warn people. John says, who's a liar, but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ Whoever denies the Son, he said in verse 23, does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. How about this in 1 John 4, 4? Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they're of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come, look, listen to this, in the flesh of God, oh, wait a minute, my other paper, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this, I mean, and this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now already in the world. Second John 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. He was fully God and fully man. You understand, they were battling this group this group is still around, that says the physical is evil. So Jesus couldn't have had a physical body, which wrecks the sacrifice of what Jesus accomplished. He's the only one of all time who could take the hand of man and the hand of God and put them together. Why? Because he was fully man and fully God. And when you attack that doctrine, you attack salvation. And we could keep going on and on. John 10, 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. John 20, 28, do you remember what Thomas finally com uh, uh, um, confessed? Oh, he answered and said to him, to Jesus, my Lord and my God. He called him God. Hebrews 1, the Father himself calls Jesus God. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The Father calls Jesus God. Isaiah says it too, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, what else? Mighty God. Romans 9.5, Paul says it, and of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is overall the eternally blessed God.
First John says it in chapter 5. Are you getting tired of it? This is the true God and eternal life, speaking of Jesus. Don't get tired of it. Don't ever get tired of it. How, hey, how, how about this? The one who's writing this letter had this unbelievable encounter with uh, Jesus at the gates of uh, 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 hell, uh, they call it in Israel there. Uh, do you remember that? Uh, when uh, Jesus asked him, uh, came into the region of uh, Caesarea Philippi and asked his disciples, saying, who do the men say that I am? And they said all this. And then he asked Peter, but who do you say that I am? And he confessed him as the Son of God, the Messiah. He finally recognized. And that was what Jesus was after. You getting it? It's important, folks. And as a, as a shepherd... I need to warn you that there are people who are going to come in among us who are not going to believe in an orthodox view of who Jesus is, and it's destructive. It can send people to hell. So we must be on guard, and we must learn and grow and become intimate with the Scriptures. Look at this. They bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. And what sense did he buy false prophets? Well, he died for the sins of the world even though they haven't trusted in him, maybe. They, he still d died for the sins of the world. He, brought, uh, he bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Do you see there's a judgment for those who teach false prophecy or teach false doctrine? There's a judgment. And then this sad verse. This sad verse. And many will follow their destructive ways. Folks, listen to this. There are a lot of popular ministries and pastors who have massive church who are false prophets and false teachers. The Bible says that many will follow their destructive ways. They'll be popular and people will want to hear it. Because look, in verse 18, they speak great swelling words of emptiness. They allure through the lusts of the flesh. People, look at this, there are people right now, today, who go from church to church to church to church until they find a church that agrees with what they believe, not what God believes. Do you see the backwardsness, if that's a word? You see the wrong order of it all? What is it that you have for me, Lord? That's what I want to do. I don't want to go shopping my beliefs in church until I find one that agrees with me. It's destructive. It's leading us down a path that's destructive. But the Bible says many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By the way, that word destructive, mm, maybe is a good word there. It is destructive, but it's more a word of sensuality and licentiousness. That's the word there. They're, um, uh, like I said, li uh, sensuality and licentiousness. In other words, listen, listen, this is so popular in the American church. Oh, hey, do what you want. God will forgive you later. That's a license to sin licentiousness, and especially in the area of sexual things. Do what you want, God will forgive you. You see, that's not what the Bible says. In fact, it says those are destructive ways of because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. You understand what's the worst thing about false prophets other than leading people uh, into hell? You know what the worst thing about uh, uh, false prophet is? It brings shame on the truth of God's word. That's what it just said right there. It brings shame because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. To the world, they'll look around. They'll turn on the TV. And you have people strutting around in pride and wealth and poverty and telling you you deserve wealth and poverty. That's itchy ear stuff, man. Because when I hear, wait a minute, I can get some money out of this? Guess what that appeals to? It appeals to my flesh, not to my spirit. And you're going to see it. And the sad part about it all is the unbelieving world is watching and like, what is all that? 
Many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Catch it. Verse 3. By covetousness, they will exploit you. That word exploit right there, folks, means make merchandise of. In other words, false prophets are in it to make merchandise of the people they're sharing and pretending to be the shepherd of. Sound familiar? Whom the way of truth will be blasphemed by covetousness. What's motivating them, I would say to my son who asked the question? Covetousness and licentiousness. I can ask for forgiveness later. See, that's not grace. Grace is a transforming grace where we want, like we sang today, we want to conform to the image of the Lord in holiness and truth. They will exploit you with how? How will they do it? They're going to do it with deceptive words. This is fascinating. The word deceptive is plastic. It's plastos. In other words, they're going to bend words and they're going to pour different meaning into words so that it'll itch your ears and get you to follow them. You get it? Like this one. Oh, yeah, we believe in grace. Okay, well, what kind of grace? Well, just do what you want and ask for forgiveness later. God will forgive you. That's not what the Bible teaches. God teaches that you do have the grace of God and you are forgiven, but a forgiven new creation creature, which you are if you've surrendered your life to Christ, wants to conform to the image of your son and grace trains you in it. That's Titus, by the way, coming straight from the Bible. Grace trains you in holiness. It doesn't excuse you to do anything you want. Get it? Okay, so you keep going on and you say, well, okay, for a long time, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their uh, judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber because you say to yourself, do do you say this? I say to myself, Lord, (laughs) Lord, you see that? Like, like he needs my help. You, you see that? Why don't you take him out? <laughs> and here's the thing. He is going to take them out. Maybe not now, but there will be a time that he'll take them out. Read the next line. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell. It's a word, that word hell right there is a word that's only used one time in the Bible, and there it is. It's the Greek word tartaros. It's like saying, you heard this, you ever heard this phrase? There's a special place in hell reserved for them? Well, it's true. There's a special place in hell reserved for the angels. Apparently, although Satan and one-third of the angels fell... Apparently, there were some of them, and you be a Berean right here, check the scriptures. There are some of them who are chained in a place now, currently, in Hades, a special place in Hades, the temporary holding place of the dead, and they will be put into hell at the end of time when we'll talk about when we get to Revelation starting this Wednesday night. But the point is not to go over the theology of what's happening to the angels The point here is, for if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and he didn't spare the ancient world, and he didn't spare the people of the plains, Sodom and Gomorrah, he will do it to them. You got it? Now catch it. There's something you need to see here. It's like the reverse of what we've been talking about. If if you think about this, God uses three examples to show that he has the ability and the power to deal with a false teacher. And he will deal with a false teacher. He's going to deal with a false teacher. One, it says he wouldn't spare the angels. He's reserved judgment for them. He even created a special place in Hades for them. Tartarus, got it. But then he goes on and he says, look at this. And he didn't spare the ancient world, but he saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. You see, what happened if you read Genesis 6, and it's happening today, folks, is that people got away from the word of God. 
they started to go their own way and do what they wanted to do. And God looked at it and he said it was evil. You, you know the story in Revelation 6 because you go through your two-year reading Bible plan. And you know it. And then God, look at this, of all the world spared eight people. Spared eight people, but he brought judgment on the whole world. If he can bring judgment on the whole world, do you think he can bring judgment on a false teacher? Of course. And he also brought uh, uh, judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that? Into ashes. That's in Genesis 18 and 19. Go back and read it. It's fascinating. Because I generally, in my mind, think of Lot not doing the right thing. Anybody else with me? Yeah, I'm good. One guy in here is honest. Okay, great. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Anyway, you all are honest. Sorry, I I shouldn't have said that. You're all honest. But I think of Lot as being like doing some bad stuff. And and then here it says, but but Sodom and Gomorrah was sent to ashes, condemned to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered. Look at this. Righteous Lot. So here you go, you got Lot who gets together with his uncle. They're getting ready to split up the land. Lot's no dummy. Uh, Abraham wants to be a good guy. He says, Lot, you take first pick. Lot looks over to the choice land. He goes, I'll take that. And Lot is a, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah is a pretty evil place. And when we find Lot in the story in Genesis 18 and 19, in the climax of the story, guess where Lot is sitting? What? In the gate, which means he was part of the culture of the city. He ingrained himself in the city. And yet, there's something about Lot in which he stood up when nobody else would stand up. Do you get it? Now you're getting it. He stood up when nobody else would stand up and believed the Lord and the angels, right? And he ran. They told him, and he took warning, and he ran and did what God said, and he tried to bring his whole family. His family laughed at him. His poor wife, you know that story. But he was a righteous lot, look at this, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Go read the story. And then I want you to see something, something we don't go through. We're going to come back to it in a minute. For that righteous man dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Apparently, and by the, word, by the way, another uh, word is vexed. He was vexed or burdened. Apparently, what was going on around him really, really burdened him. Okay, so the Lord knows how, if the Lord can do this, right? If he can send fire and brimstone, if he can send water to judge the earth and fire and brimstone to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, of course, He knows how to judge a false teacher. And not only that, the Lord knows how to deliver, verse 9, the godly out of temptations. Folks, that's good news. He can help us in our temptations. What would our temptation be? Check it. Our temptation would be to be like Noah or to be like the people of Noah and Lot's time. Our temptation is to do this. It's such a fight to stand up for truth. I'm tired of going around and having to tell people truth. Why can't somebody else do it? People start not to like me. They think I'm a pain. They see me coming and they turn the other way. They don't want to talk. They don't invite me to their barbecues. They don't invite me to the pool parties. They don't invite me to this. They don't invite me to that. I'm not included in the group. I don't want to be the guy, people would tend to say. They would be tempted to say it. But check this out. God's the God of, all, uh, of a remnant. It's from the whole Bible. It's from the whole Bible. You see it in Noah. All this whole world, there are eight people who are saved. Sodom and Gomorrah, there's just this little family that's saved. The whole book of Isaiah, it talks about the remnant that's going to come back. The believing remnant that's going to come back. A remnant. And I got to tell you, folks, I got to tell you, in this day... In this age, there's a lot of people who go to church, but there's only a remnant of believing, spirit-filled people. I just got to say it that way. There's only a remnant. What 
Peter is saying here is, it's really difficult, we know, but you as a Christian, you are called to stand out. You see, the last 50 years or so hasn't worked the strategy of the church. You know what the strategy of the church in many places has been? Let's get as close to looking like the world as we can. Let's make them all feel comfortable. Let's build rock walls and big lights and let's have cafes everywhere and places to hang out so it'll look like Starbucks. And uh, uh, let's have, you know, uh, play dates and things. And nothing wrong with a play date, but you know what I'm saying. And, and let's dress a certain way and make sure we're this way and that way. And then people will like us. And once people like us, then we'll slip the gospel in there. And it's never worked. And it never will work. You see, because the Bible tells us that you're going to be tempted not to be one of the remnant because it's hard. You're going to be tempted not to be one of the remnant. And yet, the loving apostle, the loving apostle, John, do you remember this? Just one, one in my Bible, it's two pages. First John chapter 2 says this. Verse 15, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Don't succumb to the world's system of thinking. If anyone loves the world, look at this. I, how, can you say it any more plain than this? The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God, bang, abides forever. <laughs> Can it be any more plain? And so we have to watch ourselves. We must not love the things of the world. And that means that sometimes, many times, lots of times, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb in this world. And people are going to look and say stuff like this. Hold on now. You believe in the first 11 chapters of the Bible? You know Darwin's proved that wrong, right? No, Darwin hasn't proven that wrong. That's not true. Yes, I believe in the first 11 books of the Bible. You know why I believe in the first 11 books of the Bible? Because Jesus himself believed in the first 11 books of the Bible. Jesus believed in Genesis. What? What did I say? Oh, first 11 chapters of the Bible. <laughs> Sorry, not books. First 11 chapters of the Bible. Thanks for correcting me. I appreciate it. And uh, <laughs> because, because Jesus believed in that. So, so, and now you can think of a million other things. Come on, man. Everybody looks at that stuff on our phones. We're guys. We look at that stuff. What's wrong with that? You don't look at that stuff? Why don't you look at that stuff? What's wrong with you? Uh, come on, we're going to go out and drink 10 beers tonight. You come with me. Well, I don't drink. What do you mean you don't drink? You're going to stick out like a sore thumb, folks. And yet you can share the love of Christ in every one of those situations. Every single one of those situations as people make fun, as people scoff at you, as people laugh at you, as people look at you. You know, there's going to come a day, it will come, where something will happen in their lives. They won't know where to run. And oh my goodness, they'll run to you. So you might have to, uh, you know, uh, uh, suffer in this world, and yet the Lord is calling to you, and he always calls out a believing remnant. Well, catch this. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Oh, thank you, Lord. And to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially, look at this. Here's another characteristic of false prophets or false teachers. Here it comes. It's so plain to see. Just examine a person's life. You'll know them by their fruits, the Bible tells us. Here's what you do. You look and see that they walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. And they, oh my, I dare say this one. And they despise authority. Now, people are split. The commentators are split on what that means. 
Are you talking about the government, or Romans 13? Yeah, probably. Or are you talking about the authorities that are our spiritual enemies? You know, we fight against and wrestle against flesh and blood, principalities, authorities, remember? Yeah, it's probably that too. And what they do is, they, in their lust of uncleanness, they like things that are ungodly. <laughs> they just do it secretly. You catch that? And not only that, they're irreverent. They're irreverent. They're irreverent to the people of, that God has com- called us to obey, governing authorities. But they're also, check this out, they themselves are irreverent to the spiritual forces. You ever seen a false teacher run around the stage and call out the name of the devil? And somehow they're preoccupied with devil things. And here, the writer is saying, you are irreverent towards those things. That's something. They're presumptuous, self-filled. They're not as afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Those dignitaries, again, are they the government or are they the principalities? They run it up and down the stage and they yell at things like the devil and bind and loose and all that sort of thing. And the problem is, like we see in Jude, when there was an uh, enemy of our souls fighting with an angel over the body of Moses. Do you remember that in Jude? Remember the, the angel said, hey, it's not my place to tangle with that enemy. I want to call down Jesus. Get what I'm saying? There's some people in the church, false teachers, who are so preoccupied with fighting the devil. And I get their sentiment, except it's not us who fight the enemy. It's the Lord Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ who's defeated the enemy. That's who we fight in. Get it? Well, it says they're presumptuous and they're self-willed. You see, that he's setting up this thing where, where, catch this, that the people who are false teachers are cavalier about the things of God. They're just cavalier. There's no reverence towards the word of God. They come from a place of showmanship. Oh, my. And it's more about the person who's behind whatever they're behind than it is about the Lord. And there's no respect and awe. You get it? Well, he goes on and he says, Angels who are greater in power and might don't even bring a reviling accusation. And again, you can see that in Jude. But these, what? The false teachers, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they don't even understand. They scoff at things that are outside their own experience, Martin Lloyd-Jones says. They scoff at things that are outside their own experience. Why? Because they don't really know the word that well. They're putting on an organization that builds money and luxury and appeals to the flesh as opposed to teaching what God has implanted into them. You see it? So, so that's what they do, and they revert back to being like beasts, just natural instincts. And they'll utterly perish in this corruption, it says in 12, and will receive the rages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure, look at this, to carouse in the daytime. You can look this up. I won't take, it, take you there. But in Luke 17, or 7.25, they use the same word. And guess what that word it means? Luxury. In other words, it's their count it pleasure to luxuriate in the daytime. In other words, they will parade it around and let you see it. And they're not ashamed of it. <laughs> false prophet. False teacher. Sound familiar? They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. They even will come into the, remember how they uh, did communion? They did it in the love feast things type of thing. They had love feasts and then they, right? They are even in among you having eyes full of adultery. And that is the word for the sexual adultery. There's this lust for sex. But there's also this. It's an adultery in the sense that they're trying to grab people out of um, uh, Orthodox Christianity and bring them into their sect or their organization so it'll build up their kingdom. You get it? And that 
cannot cease from sin. They have eyes full of adultery, and they can't cease from sin. Why can't they cease from sin? Because although they have the appearance of being a Christian, they're not saved. So they're under the power and influence of sin. Romans 6 says when we, we're going to do it today, when we're baptized, when the Holy Spirit comes into our life and we're baptized, we, not just water baptized, but in here, we go from the kingdom of sin, we, uh, a slave to sin, to be in a slave of righteousness. But they can't because they're not saved. Watch this. Watch this. The, they're full of adultery and can't cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. Do you see what they go after? This, is, this, this just makes me want to cry. False prophets, false teachers go after people who are unsure in the Christian life. They're easy prey. Boom, pick off. Boom, pick off. Boom, pick off. They showed, they showed um, uh, love towards somebody. They showed care and concern, and they picked them off and took them away. And they're accursed children. They've forsaken the right way. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And they've gone astray. And they're, in other words, they're dishonest. Following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. Go read that story. I won't take you to it today, but it's in Numbers 22. Five, right, where the king of Moab calls up a prophet and tells the prophet to curse Israel, and he goes to God and says, well, should I curse Israel? And God says, no, don't do it. Goes back, tells, goes back a couple times. God keeps saying no, and then finally God says, okay, you can go, but, you know, I don't want you to curse. You can go, all that and stuff. And this whole situation leads the nation of Israel into marrying people they shouldn't marry and adultery. And apparently this prophet did it for money. Numerical, or, you know, kingdom gain. Well, they have forsaken the right way, gone astray, fallen the way of Balaam, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Okay, here's another example of false teachers. Folks, here's false teachers. Their words are empty. They're, they're wells without water. They're, there's no substance to that. There's this one program on TV. I, I, I watch it and I show it to her every time. I just come in here. You, you got to listen to this. It's, it's on a Christian TV show right here in Pittsburgh. And there's this guy and he just sits up there and you can tell these are from like the 90s or the early 2000s. And he just talks about wisdom and I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but, you know, I mean, I went to law school or whatever. So, I, I mean, I can read and I can comprehend words. And this guy speaks these principles about wisdom, and I can't figure out what he means, ever. And it's just round and round and round, and I'm like, I don't get what the guy's saying. Like, I don't even understand what he means. If I wanted to follow him, I wouldn't even know what, he's, what to follow. And he's a gazillionaire. And it's sad. It's really sad. They're wells without water. There's nothing in it. They're clouds carried by a tempest because they can be blown this way and that. Look at this. I'm not saying it, but the word is saying it. For whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak, speak great swelling words of emptiness. That's what false prophets do. They allure. They try to allure you. They tried to entice you. The word actually means they bait a hook. They're baiting a hook for you, folks. There's hooks being baited for you right through your TV airwaves. Through lewdness, or they, through the lust of the flesh and through lewdness. That's again like, like licentiousness. The ones who have actually escaped from those who live in terror. They're preying upon people who are like new believers. And then it says this, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome by him, also he is brought into bondage. Uh, for if after, and the key word here is they, have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. 
But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. That's a proverb uh, that they use. Now, who are these people that they're talking about? These false teachers are alluring people and they promise them liberty. They themselves are slaves of corruption, 19 says. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he's brought into bondage. For if after, look, I circled they. Now, you've got to figure out who they means, and there's two schools of thought there here, and it makes a difference. That's why I'm bringing it up to you. I want you to be good students of the Bible. In one hand, some people believe the they that they're referring to are the false teachers themselves. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, in other words, they've cleaned up their lives so to look like a Christian, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they then become entangled in these things in the world, and then they're overcome. The latter end is far worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it. You see it? It's talking maybe about the false prophets themselves. Another school of thought, and this is why it's going to pique your interest, is that the they they are talking about there in verse 20 are the people who the false prophet is, or false teacher is teaching to. In other words, the pupil or the congregant. There's another school of thought that thinks that's what they're saying. And if that's what they're saying, then there's a big debate within the church. Can you lose your salvation or can't you? And that's what this is talking about to those who believe the they means the congregant. Listen to it again. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, uh, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been known better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit. In other words, a dog is always a dog and will remain a dog. He didn't become a new creation. So a reformed theology would say if they're talking about the congregant or the person who's listening to the false teaching and they escaped the pollutions of the world, but then became re-entangled with the world, then it must be that they were never saved. Get it? In which case, look, they, became, they were a dog. They went to back to being a, a dog. No harm, no foul, although it is harmful. Or they're a pig and they, or a sow, and they went back to being a sow. No, they're just what they were. They never had any conversion or any new creation, or the Holy Spirit never came into their life. And then there's others on the other end of that spectrum, Arminianists, who believe, oh no, that's talking about people who got saved and lost their salvation. And guess what, folks? There's room for both here. What do we believe here at Calvary Chapel? Well, here's what we believe that you were elected and called and you responded to that call. Did God save you or did, or did you have a responsibility to uh, uh, respond to, to the invitation? And the answer we have, because we believe the scriptures teach it, is yes. We don't think they're mutually exclusive. God can call you and you can still respond to that call, Right? And once you do respond to that call, the Bible says that you become a new creation. A new creation. And as you abide in Christ, nothing can pluck you out of his hand. Right? But Jesus said this, and this is where I'm going to leave you, and I'm going to ask you a few questions. We're almost done. It's amazing. It's not even very much past 12. <clears throat> you know... Um, Well, I lost my train of thought as I'm telling the joke, right? Uh, but false teachers here, listen, false teachers are dangerous. And we want you to know the word so intimately that you can recognize something that's wrong out there as they come in. Not that you boot them out of the church immediately, you're humble, you go to them, you talk to them, etc. But 
Remember, Jesus himself said there would be lots of different kinds of soils in the hearts of men. Do you remember this? And one of those soils is the word gets implanted, and immediately there's like some real joy. It's like a blazing light. It's like a firework, man. A person's life's like a firework. They're on fire for the Lord. The problem is, Jesus said, he didn't say it like I'm going to say it. The problem is, though, a firework doesn't, it burns out. Jesus said some people feel joy and then they fade away. Things come into their lives like money, resource, popularity, image, friends, hobbies, uh, wealth, uh, possessions, and it chokes out everything that the Lord was doing. Everything that the Lord was doing. Remember that? And so uh, here, right here at the end of uh, 2 Peter 2, we see what false teachers can do. They themselves are going to be, a special place is going to be reserved in Hades for them. You are called to be one who is a discerner of the word, not what you think in your heart, but you go to the word and you evaluate somebody by the fruits of their lives. If they're talking about a $60 million Learjet and they say it's okay, that's a sign it's not as they buy it through their church's money. True? I mean, I didn't say it. They say it. Or he says it. The writer says it. And then, I would say to you, why is this so important? (laughs) Because doctrine, right doctrine, leads to a right life or a righteous life or a godly life or right living or right standing with God, first of all, Based on who Jesus is, you must have right standing with God. Could you say today, if I said to you, or if the Lord said to you, not me, if the Lord said to you, you're going to walk out here and a bus is going to nail you. Could you say, I know where I'm going. Could you say that? Or would you go like this? Would you go, "Uh, I think I know where I'm going. Or would you say, no, I know where I'm going. See, because the Bible says, he who has the Son in all his glory Fully man, fully God, he who has the Son has the Father, and that's eternal life. Jesus, or the Bible says, Jesus said in John 17, 17, I'm going to sanctify my people by my truth. Thy word is truth. You must know the word. And so, do you know that? Do you know that you're trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ for your salvation and his uh, uh, resurrection? Is that what you're planning uh, uh, or how you're planning to go to heaven? Or do you say something like, well, I'm pretty good. Are you counting on Jesus' righteousness to be imputed into your spiritual bank account? Is Jesus your all in all? When you wake up in the morning, are you thinking about the Lord? Are you asking the Lord to help you through the day? Are you uh, praying without ceasing? Not that you're on your knees all day. I know you have to work and do the chores, but are you in a uh, place where you're practicing the presence of the Lord? Are you looking to to the Lord for your life and your resource and your family's life uh, and, and even what you do with your time? Is that how your life goes? If that's how your life goes, listen, you are doing and following the word of God. But if you are more into building your kingdom. And you deserve, I hear these things in the church, I deserve this. No, you deserve hell. I deserve hell. But if I'll just pray hard enough or think good enough or have enough faith, I can have that Lexus or have that house, that's from the pit of hell. And he says it right here. But if you are following that theology, see, you're going to start to live a life of licentiousness and lewdness and irreverence toward the things of God. You might think it's reverent to walk up and down and to call out Satan, but it's not reverent. What we do is we call Jesus in there. Is that how you live? If it is how you live, see, here's what I would say. I love you, and I want you to come to a real knowledge of what the gospel says. Not to what you think it says or what you want it to say. Do you, have you sat in the place where the virgin birth is being knocked or wrecked? 
Justification by faith is being torn apart. The perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Weird, aberrant thoughts about who he is. Then here's what I would say. Pray and ask the Lord to show you where it's right and what's right. Because out of all of this comes salvation and right living. Living that honors the Lord. You see how important it is? Well, it's not the most happy message you could give on baptism day. But it just might be one of the most important. So let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you uh, this morning for uh, going through the Bible. I'm just saying, I probably wouldn't have picked this chapter for today, Lord, and yet you want us to hear it and know it. It's Peter's last letter as he's dying, or going to die, and you, you wanted us to know it. It's all over the New Testament to watch out and to be sober and vigilant. So, Lord, help us. Help us to be ones that know you in a real and intimate way and know your words so that when there's a counterfeit or a fake we can recognize and just follow you simply, but according to your word. Help us, Lord. We need your help and help me first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So listen, if you can come, I know it's a little bit, it's 12 o'clock now. If you can come to the baptism, we'd love to have you. It's going to be at uh, three o'clock. Kelly will have the address so we don't announce it live here. And uh, it'd be such a blessing to have you come uh, uh, and, uh, and celebrate with us. God bless you, and uh, have a great day. God bless you guys.